surmise it. This is somewhere in the range of 80 to 90, 90th guests we've had. I, I'll tell you when I count everybody up. Today, we're talking to Paul Ozenkup. He's a really amazing person. And the reason why I kind of stumbled upon Paul's content was because we had an amazing guest here like two years ago by the name of Kelly Lee, who's Earl's like ex-co-worker. And like really good friend. Actually, he says he's your best friend. <laughs> that's that's more more into that. I can't even explain that. But um, so to tell you a little bit about Paul, Paul is a humor strategist who helps organizations create happier, healthier, and more connected workplaces to work. Paul's global mission for workplace happiness has provided him opportunities to work with hundreds of organizations, including Harvard Kennedy School of Leadership, Google, Discover and the U.S. Air Force. He's a content creator for Happify, an app that provides evidence-based solutions for an emotional health and well-being, as well as uh, I just saw his TED Talk, Humor in the Workplace, and I think that's something I need to show my all my ex-bosses because uh, they, <laughs> they would always yell at me for no reason. It's probably because, uh, I don't know, I, I'm an easy scapegoat, whatever. <laughs> and then, but, and then uh, you punish them by making them watch my TED Talk. <laughs> Make them make them watch it. Just you know, email them and say, "Hey, no choice but chain them to a chair and be like, you're watching this, man.'" <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm really excited about this one because I feel like in the podcast we have a lot of serious conversations with entrepreneurs, and um, I think today's more light lighthearted and also just like how humor fits into entrepreneurship and you know, executive leadership and things like that. So, so Paul, welcome in from Montana, man, and I can't say enough. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to chat with you and uh, to be on the podcast. And um, yeah, well, I'm I'm an open book, man. What do you What do you want to know? Let's, <laughs> let's do this. I'm ready to roll. <laughs> let's do it. I I don't even know where to start. It's just uh, I guess like I'll just say like the one time you uh, impersonated was it Pitbull or was it Shaggy on a on a stage? <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was like oh my god, man! I cannot. Because I've done stand-up comedy before, but it takes a lot of guts to to just walk on stage and act. I wouldn't say a fool, but you know, try to be funny. So, oh, I was um, act, I was acting a fool. I like how you said try to be funny. Like <laughs> it's, it takes you got to be pretty brave to try and be funny like that. I'm not saying you succeeded, but it was a valiant effort, young man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Paul, man, I I guess like I don't even know where to start. Just I guess who who is Paul? These are my pit bull glasses that you were referring to. I'm, so for the listener, I just put on these sweet shades. That I'm bald dude, and I, I kind of look like Pitbull like when I put these on. Like, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> 305. <laughs> Mr. 305. <laughs> man, how did... Uh, anyway, go ahead. What were you going to say? Right, yeah. I'm just like, how did you find your way to... How, how did this become your career? Just because I, don't, I feel like when people try to pursue something related to business they 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 have to leave their personality at home right like that's like yeah. you try to tell jokes in the joke in the the break room no one laughs and that's that's been my experience <laughs> and i just i just uh I, I feel like people go to work sometimes and they they lose a lot of their sense of uh personality or their their like just happiness like where, where did you bring that how did you how are you able to bring that into your, your career yeah, man, uh, it's it's a good question, and um, you know, to, to start off in terms of like where, how I got to doing what I what I'm doing. Um, so believe it or not, I used to have a very serious job where um, I worked for a, a large university, and I was you like worked for UC Riverside. 
I, I, I worked at UC Riverside for a while. Yeah. I went yeah, there, I man. There. I went there. We're both high. You went to UCR? You want to see oh, my degree? Highlander. <laughs> Paul, this, awesome. is, this is for jokes, man. But I, I never, no one ever looks at it. But here, man. Here, here's my degree from UC Riverside. No, no jokes. Oh, look at that, man. That's <laughs> awesome. How about it? He takes oh, his God. diploma off the wall. Oh, that's great. Uh, ask, what's my most that's uh, pretty private? cool i loved ucr man I, I that's a that's a great school and one of the one of the things people don't know about ucr that as like uh you know straight able-bodied white dude from colorado i really liked was that it is the most diverse college campus in the country and you know it is like uh <laughs> yeah. yeah i i used i used to love it like i would go to kind of the student center area and i had um i had uh uh meals on a card and i would go there and there were like little hispanic women rolling my sushi while most of the salsa dancing club on campus were asian women I was like, this is great. You know, it's like, yeah, salsa dancing, Asian women. And we got the people working in the sushi place, rolling fresh sushi or uh, Latinas, you know, I'm like, this is awesome. It's such a unique place in the world. Like a lot of my friends, um, they're mixed race. And like, I met like this girl who was, uh, I think, Persian and Filipino and just so many like I see combinations. I was like, where are your parents in the <laughs> Yeah, man. It's, it's cool. And you just hear different languages every day like, as you walk by. Like, yeah, it was, it, I really liked working there. Yeah, that's cool. Um, are you from, are you from down SoCal or are you like from? No, I'm, I'm from Colorado originally. No way. Wow, yeah. man. That's, that's yeah, so from, interesting. How, yeah. uh, bo- how both our paths just eventually crossed just since. You used to work with the the co-host here. He normally Earl. He normally hosts podcasts with me, and he um uh, he's he worked with Kelly at Raytheon, and oh, and like I yeah, just, that's crazy. And then you just <laughs> yeah, well, one thing leads to another. Yeah, it is kind of weird, like some random guy from Colorado and some random guy uh, from California, and then uh, both of us ended up at UCR at one point. I had yeah. no idea, and yeah. Man, uh, <laughs> I I don't even know where to start. Like, what, well, what what else? Um, so how? Oh, so, so what UCR, I was what I was saying though. Your career, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I had a a really serious job. Like, so I was working for Colorado State University for a while, but I was like the uh the director of conflict resolution, and my job was I was the disciplinary guy for the university. So when students got in trouble or like got arrested or like real serious trouble to where they were going to possibly be facing suspension from the institution, I was the guy they met with to determine like, did you break the rules? And if so, what happened? So I had this really serious, serious job of working with local police and attorneys and all this stuff. And in the meantime, uh, on the side, I was doing stand-up comedy, doing improv comedy. So I kind of lived this double life, like this super serious job, but I always loved humor. And there were times where I noticed like at work, how humor would, um, you know, help maybe uh, lubricate a situation or a conversation, a difficult uh, situation or conversation. Um, I was really young in my role and I moved up to a leadership position really quickly. And I I always kind of felt like, I think there's something about people 
like to laugh and they, you know, I, sometimes I'm funny at work and I think that helps me. And, and so then I started researching that I started researching what humor does for us. Um, and the more I nerded out about that stuff, I was like, this is awesome. And I started doing some presentations about it and kind of teaching about it. And one thing led to another, and I was able to kind of blend the stand-up comedy that I was doing with some research and teaching and led to a career that I do now. And people wanted to pay me to do it. And I was like, all right, cool. So, so it all started at UCR? kind of well it, for me it started even before that it even started back in colorado yeah yeah when when did you uh was there somebody who kind of just said that you're really funny and you should try to be a comedian or like how did you end up on stage like you just said screw it i'll, I'll go or <laughs> you watched richard Pryor? how to go <laughs> It, well, apparently I always, I always, uh, every, even since I was a kid, you know, um, I guess people thought I was funny or I liked humor. I liked to tell jokes. And I used to, I used to watch like Johnny Carson back in the day. Like when I was a real little kid, I would ask to stay up late and watch <laughs> the tonight show and stuff like that. And, uh, and I remember the first time I really noticed like the power of humor and how like, Hey man, this stuff really works. I was in third grade. And, uh, I was in, uh, Miss Temple's class and she, from what my third grade, third grade brain remembers, she was like two to 3000 years old, you know, like she was just like this old cranky woman and she always was getting on me about something. And apparently I talked too much, which, you know, now I do it for <laughs> a living, so it's fine. But, uh, but, uh, she at one point looks at me and goes, Paul, you have diarrhea of the mouth. And the whole class goes, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. I was like embarrassed. And now she, like the teacher clowned me in front of the whole class. She's like, you have diarrhea of the mouth. And so I didn't know what to say. And I just go, oh, sick. It's running down my chin. <laughs> and all the students laughed. And I was like, oh, good. So then I immediately, like, it was, probably wasn't the best coping me mechanism, like that type of humor in a work setting. But for a third grader, it worked pretty good. It diffused it. The kids were back on my side and it made me feel better until she was like, uh, you need to go to the principal's office. And I was like, ah, so I went, but I went to the principal's office and then the principal, I was usually a pretty good kid, right. but the principal was like, why, why are you here? Why are you in the principal's office? And I said, well, Miss Temple said I had diarrhea of the mouth. And then I said something I shouldn't have said. And they said, well, what did you say? And I told them and I saw the principal and the vice principal both like try to cover up their laugh and like still look stern. Cause I was like, Oh, I said, Oh sick. It's running down my chin. And they were like, <sniffs> and they, they tried to still be stern and be like, well, you can't say that. Okay. But I knew even as a third grader, I was like, see, it's pretty good. Huh? You know? And then I was like, now I know I'm like, I'm not in as much trouble. Cause you guys thought it was funny. And like, so I knew there was something to this whole humor thing. Uh, and uh, so I've, I've kind of enjoyed it my, my whole life, but, but even like in a more, I guess, professional way, um, when I was doing that job at the university and I would meet with students who got in trouble, um, I remember there's this one kid who, um, I had met with once before and he, he was really upset and he was super mad at me. And he, our, our first meeting did not go well. He was like, um, yelling and stormed out. And I was like, oh man, okay. And then unfortunately he got in trouble again and he was back. And this time it was like much more serious. And I was like, oh man, this is, 
uh, you know, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And this time it wasn't just him. He brought his mom and he brought his attorney. And I was like, so <laughs> I'm like getting ready for that serious meeting. And right before getting up to go to the, like the lobby to get him, I spilled like a huge, like 32 ounce, uh, like soda on right, right on my lap, <laughs> directly on my crotch. And I was like, Oh God, man, why? And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I, and I didn't have a change of pants at work and I didn't have enough time to like dry it off to where no one could see it. So I'm like, Oh, great. What do I do? So I went out there and just kind of, I called his name and I said, Hey everyone, you know, I hope your day's starting off better than mine and kind of pointed down at my pants. Um, and he just like calmly, like dryly looks up and goes, I told you to see a doctor about that. <laughs> and, uh, and like everyone, you know, there's like 10 or 12 people around. Everybody's laughing except his mom. His mom's like slapping him on the knee. Like, what are you doing? You know, but, uh, but like, even in that moment, I noticed that I didn't even do anything funny, but I just didn't take myself that serious. Like I just pointed out like, Hey, I spilled some crap on my crotch and, you know, this sucks. And I, and I didn't, you know, I just kind of gave him this moment of levity and he kind of, he took that almost as an olive branch to be like, oh, Hey, nice. all right, it's, you know, so, uh, I started noticing things like that in the, in the world and how, what humor does for us. And I do think it has a place in the work environment. Yeah, man. I think people are taking their lives too serious sometimes. Just, I don't know if it's, um, if it's, yeah, you know, due, due to just not socializing because phones have interrupted our natural ways of communication with in person. But I think, for yeah. Me, yeah. Right. I, th I, th I think, for, it, so, I think yeah. part of that, it, it could be some of that. And, um, I was thinking the other day about how, like, we have more access now to all of the horrible crap that's going on in the world than uh -huh. we ever have. Like usually you know, you hear about things in your local community, maybe you get to read the newspaper like back in the day and learn a little bit about all the bad stuff going on in the world. But now I think we have more like negative, negative things than our brains able to handle. And so mm -hmm. it does make everything feel heavy all the time and like serious all the time. Uh, yeah. Especially with the, you know, pandemic happening, uh, just one negative thing after another. And, trying to find uh you know just how to deal with that or when when you're at home and all your choices are to use a phone and watch a tv show and yeah okay. <laughs> what, what else are you gonna do <laughs> i don't know either right it, but I, i'm glad it's you know shifted back to i guess you know we don't need a mask anymore or like we can have freedom more, more freedoms again so um but with that, you know, with that being said, there yeah. were things I liked about wearing a mask. Like, you know, if I just drank a bunch of coffee and my breath stinks, but I need to run into the bank or the store real quick, I'm like, yeah, no, the only person smelling my breath right now is me. So, you know, it's fine. <laughs> you know, or yeah. like if I have, I have crap in my teeth, I'm like, well, you know, no one's going to see this. I can wait to floss until I get home. It's fine. Gotcha. Well, hey, Paul, I think I have it. <laughs> Like a more, I want to say educational a question, but yeah, you know, when you were trying to pitch these ideas to say Kaiser or like somebody, a corporation, any yeah. ex corporation, and they're like, they're, they're, you know, these businessmen are, they tend to be very serious and take work extremely seriously. 
and you're yeah. you know you're in there in a room and you're like so what did you guys have for breakfast they're like you know you, you you do something to lighten the mood what have you seen that um transpire into i guess in terms of culture and the workplace and just i guess like how do people um uh how do people accept or how do people um uh what's that word like how do people receive your uh, critiques or your advice and humor and all that? Yeah. Well, it's a good, it's a good question. Like, um, you know, I don't, whether I'm like doing a workshop or a keynote or I'm, you know, pitching to somebody or talking to somebody about their needs or whatever, um, you know, I try not to uh, come at it silly like just downright because they're it, because i also try to model a little <laughs> bit of what people need uh you know if you're gonna use humor at work um it's not the main course like it's it's like uh dessert or sugar or you know it's like you can't just always eat only dessert or, or sugar like you you have to have nutrients too which is like hard work and empathy for people and uh competency and that kind of stuff and so there's a fine balance between um you know being serious versus silly um or you know credible versus comical and so um i i do balance that quite a bit and usually um all i need to do is is provide data for people in terms of uh you know for example one of one of my probably by far right now um my most requested talk is um on stress stress is a laughing matter using humor as a coping strategy because stress uh is at an all-time high like everybody and and it, and everyone knows what that is like everyone deals with stress and so um showing people ways that you can actually enhance your own sense of humor and use it as a mindfulness strategy to relax and chill and put things in perspective <laughs> you know um yeah. and there there are like tangible ways to be able to do that um <clears throat> so who who are like what what makes an organization organi organization say okay, we need somebody like Paul to come give us a pep talk or, you know, provide us some consulting in the workplace. Like how do they arrive at that point or can it be for anyone or how does that, how did that, uh, how do they meet you? Like, how do they, yeah, I go? think for, for an organization, I mean, it just comes down to pure desperation, you know, and it, no, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> they're like, all right, fine. We'll take Paul. Um, no, um, most of the time, uh, I, I, I get um, one of a couple uh, things. Usually, um, it's either a large event that someone's doing, and they want it to either start off or end with something positive and upbeat. Because it's like, hey, we're having a, a conference or an event about you know X, Y, and Z, you know, healthcare. And it's much more serious. And our opening speaker is talking about like diversity, equity, and inclusion, a little bit more serious topic. We want to end on like a super uh, positive, fun note. So I'll get those requests for like keynotes um, simply because it's positive and talking humor is fun and funny and that kind of stuff. Um, but the other uh, reason that, that I'll often get is morale, like... Um, People, particularly these last couple of years with the pandemic, like you were mentioning, um, uh -huh. morale is low. Uh, we're, we're trying to find ways to um, help people during their workday 
um, kind of just boost their own engagement and and boost their own well being and their mood. Um, do you have ways to help them do that? And so they'll reach out to me and and I'm like, yeah, I've got ways that we can incorporate a little bit more fun or a little bit more humor. And then another way is organizations that um, want to use a little bit more humor, like in their actual organization. Um, you know, for example, uh, maybe with marketing uh, or, um, you know, there, there are, there, there's a lot of research around, uh, for example, like, um, funny chat bots boost user engagement by like 65% or 69%. But most people say they don't ever try to, or, uh, want to try to use humor in their, uh, chat bots. Um, you know, same same thing with um, like marketing emails. Funny subject lines will get way more clicks, but most managers and sales managers don't really think about or know how to use use humor. And and same with uh, even marketing conversations. So um, yeah. there are ways and tricks to be able to like formulas to use to be able to like here's how to add a little bit of humor to what you're already doing. Yeah, I think I've, I've tried that before, like in a job interview, where I'm like, you know, trying to end it with a joke or like, I don't even, I can't even remember because, yeah. but I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you like one easy example. This is like the most simple thing ever. And, um, and people can use it. It's, it, and it's very formulaic and it's just the rule of three or the comic triple, right? Where you just state two serious things followed by something surprising or different or funny. And, um, I I intentionally use this in my bio um, because then I use it as an example later. Like you were reading, you know, all the places that have hired me and some of the work sure. I've done and that kind of stuff. And then the last sentence in my bio is his work has been uh, his work ha- has been highlighted in the New York Times, Forbes, and on his mom's refrigerator. And when I'm being introduced. <laughs> When I'm being introduced uh, on stage and it's like, oh, Paul's done this and this and this, and it's all serious stuff or whatever. And then there's that little comic triple at the end. That last thing always gets a chuckle every (laughs) single time, right? Right. And it's a nice way for me to walk on stage. It's a nice little chuckle. It also kind of says like, well, he doesn't take himself that serious, even though he wants to tell you how he's done work for the Air Force and Google and been, you know, highlighted in Forbes. Um, But Anyone can do that. And so like, I, for example, I was working with a, an organization um, and uh, the business continuity professionals and um, like disaster recovery professionals. So their jobs are to, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. So as I was working with them and the, I, was, I was telling them about that uh, comic triple and I asked them to come up with their own, like, how might you be able to use that for what you do? And one guy uh, said, yeah, it's really hard because what we do is always so doom and gloom because our job is to like come up with recovery plans for when a disaster happens to an organization. So he came up with one and he goes, yeah, I came up with uh, mine. Uh, Mine is that uh, when people ask what I do now, I say, well, uh, my job is to, what do you say? Um, Think of all the bad things that could happen to an organization then come up with a plan to deal with them. I guess you could say I'm a professional buzzkill. 
And I, I was like, that's great, man. Like, I, I, and, and he goes, and now when I say that to people, it gets a little chuckle, but people always start asking me questions. Whereas before, when I would tell them what I would do, it was, people were like, oh, cool. <laughs> Whatever. So um, that's like one simple formulaic way to be able to like, oh, I could infuse a little humor here or there. And and that works for the boss that like everybody hates, right? Like when it's like Monday and they're about to be like walking in the office and see someone who's gonna immediately say, "Where's the assignment?" or like, "Where's you know the report?" Right? Like that. And but, but I feel like bosses, you know, they need to, or you know, managers, um, leaders, anyone in that space, kind of needs to be able to, I guess, relate to their employees, right? Because it just seems like there's turnover rates, and you know, you don't want one person hating you, or you know what I mean. Right. Just, but I feel like I've had the bosses, <laughs> and this is no, no, no insult to the bosses I had. They, they, they were good in their own rights. But um, if you're listening to this podcast and you were one of his bosses once, he's about to roast you, roast on a <laughs> on a grill. <laughs> right. um, but uh, I feel like it was unnecessary. Like, I mean, yeah, I was doing the job as get, I guess as best as I could have been, but it's just so interesting, like how to handle a situation and, and why was humor never, I guess, champion in the workplace as much as, I guess that's a question for you. Like, why do you think that humor is so hard for, you know, people in the workplace to adapt or, you know, adopt or, um, you know, include? Yeah. It, it, I think that's a, a, a really good question. I, I think, um, a lot of it is what we're taught, you know, uh, we come into the workplace and especially as young professionals, it's immediately like, I need to show how competent and confident and capable I am, you know, and get more leads, get more sales. So there's that pressure to do that. And there's, there's not really anyone in, in leadership already. The cultures we've created are already, you need to prove yourself and that, and that this part of you doesn't really belong. Um, and, and it's not even just in work. Uh, there's a, a study uh, with like um, over a million people in 166 different countries that found that once we hit age 23, our propensity to laugh just falls off a cliff. And we oh, don't gosh. really start gaining those laughs back until we're we're in our mid seventies. So it's like fifty years in the middle of our lives of oh my gosh, man. seriousness. Yeah, that's and that's, yeah, yeah. And so it's it is kind of sad. So you're feeling about that that like yeah, I feel like people aren't you know really into it. You're exactly right. But the then the saddest part of of it is that when you ask the experts on life who are old people. Mm -hmm. Um, the, um, the, this woman who wrote a book called the top five regrets of the dying, um, when she asked people who were in hospice care at the end of their life, what their top regrets are, oh, yeah. one of, one of the biggest all-time regrets was, I wish I had let myself be happier. And within that, um, a lot of those people said, I wish I could have just laughed more and had more silliness in my life. Like people look back on it and go, this was a choice. I could have sure, not sure. seen my life as a drama all the time and been able to view it a little more as a comedy more often. Absolutely. You know, I would, uh, I, I'm going to have to amplify what you just said and try to get thousands of people to see it. But one thing I wanted to just point out was um, 
I remember. Have you ever seen the movie Dead Poet Society with uh, Robin Williams? Yeah, yeah. That's, it's been a long time, but I've seen that. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like my favorite movie, and I have an English degree, as you saw, right? So, <laughs> it's 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 uh, one of those things where I think that um, I guess in the movie he's a literature teacher, and there's a scene at the very end where they're like, "So tell me what is poet? Read me the meaning of poetry," and the kids in the class they they didn't know how to do that because Robin had taught them um, that poetry didn't, you know, you don't learn poetry in a book, you learn poetry in this, right? Like in the moment. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really beautiful, but um, I think the moral, yeah. right. The, the moral is just, I think that art or imagination and creativity does humor belongs in our lives and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, it's such a big part of our personalities when you think about like outside of work, the, the, there are probably people who you can, you know, really be your true self around, be a little bit silly with, whether it's a sibling or a best friend uh, or a partner. And it's like, there's that part of our personality where I wouldn't expect that people feel like they can be that, you know, silly at work, but showing a little bit of that part of your personality is good. And actually you, you were right on when you asked uh, about people in leadership roles. Um, when, when asked to describe the best leaders they've ever worked for um, across industries, people were asked to give the traits of the best leaders they've ever worked for. And two traits were mentioned twice as many, twice as much as any other. And it was work ethic and sense of humor. Uh -huh. I mean, people want people who you know, will work hard and be reliable, but that don't take it always so serious and that, uh, you know, can be lighthearted about it. Man, I think that's such a, it's such a rarity, right? Like if you're working on something serious and how can that person not show, show any, any uh, form of weakness, not weakness, but just like sens sensitivity towards someone like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a new thing. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you this. I, I'll, I'll ask you this and I'll, and I'll share with you why. Um, so what, think of something about yourself, um, something weird about yourself that you love or something weird that makes you happy. Like, so for example, I'll, I'll share first. Um, I have two dogs, which isn't weird, but a weird thing about me is that I love the smell of my dog's feet, which I know is probably gross and odd, but they smell like Fritos chips. And <laughs> I don't know, just, it just makes me happy. Like I'm probably snuggling with them on the couch or something if I smell that smell. So it's just like a good smell to me. So that's something weird about, about me. So yours could be anything. It could be like a weird talent you have or a hobby or a type of TV show you watch or anything. So what was the question? What is something weird about me? So, or something weird about you that you love or something weird that makes you happy. Man, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> what is something weird about? I um or or something silly or goofy or like is there a, a or or a guilty pleasure like TV show or or movie that, that you know something you watch that you're like I don't tell a lot of people about this but here it goes. Man, I I think I need to think more about this. What's a I don't have a dog so I couldn't cop out but um. <laughs> <laughs> what is a is a guilty pleasure or god I, I don't even so like or or it could be like something you just love to pig out on and eat that like i could crush 10 bags of these in one sitting or whatever <laughs> when when i'm home yeah. alone and 
you know, nobody knows. It doesn't uh, matter. If, if, if you think of it, great. I'll if figure not, it out one no day. Big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the point of that is um, I'll, I'll do that that exercise with, with uh, groups and have people pair up and, and share that. And it's a, it's a, it's a simple thing that when you share something about yourself, that's, you know, maybe it's mildly embarrassing, like what, you know, me smelling my dog's feet or whatever. I, I did this with a group of healthcare people and there was this one surgeon and she said uh, one, her thing was after she passed her boards exam, she um, went home and, and ran a bath and she got a bag of chocolate chips and lined the chocolate chips all in a row around her bathtub. And to this day, that's how she rewards herself. She like one by one just eats chocolate chips uh, as she's sitting in the bath. And all her doctor friends are like, why don't you just put them in a bowl? You know, like, um, <laughs> but uh, the Harvard Business Review shared a study that uh, they had, um, they had uh, groups that were tasked with coming up with creative solutions to complex problems, like, like brainstorming innovation groups. And they had one group, they said, okay, try to come up with solutions to the problems and just go get into problem solving mode. They had another group that said, everybody first go around and share your greatest accomplishment with each other and then get into problem solving mode. And then the final group, everyone go around and share something slightly kind of embarrassing. And that embarrassing moment group um, outperformed the other two groups by 25%, 25% more solutions mm -hmm. and more creative solutions were come up with by that group because there is something magical that happens when we let our guard down a little bit. And when people in, in a work setting or in a leadership role are able to show a little bit of that human side of themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, it's like, I'm not going to be as quite as nervous or embarrassed to share my outside of the box idea for a solution to this problem at work after I've just told people I'm smelling my dog's feet. So. <laughs> no, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, have you seen the movie internship with uh, Owen Wilson? and Bob Yeah. yeah. I, They're like at Google. Yeah. Google. yeah. <laughs> and uh, th th those folks, like they had, I think they had like moments in that team where they would show like vulnerability. Right. And like, just, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I uh -huh. think some people just don't know how to do that or don't know like what is a good, like actual strategic way to show vulnerability um, or to have our team do this. You know, do wow. I like, you know, you like it's a word vulnerability or authenticity that's like thrown around a lot, but then it's like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to do? Just like walk into my coworker's office and cry about something or, you know, or like yeah. be, tell them my deepest, darkest problem that's going on. No, but there are, there are little um, steps, I ways, think. activities, things you can do that help right. get to that genuine connection between people. And that's what I help. That's what I help organizations do. Man, that's so interesting. You say that. I think that um, that's how you make friends where, where you're like vulnerable, right? Like, yeah. And we, we, I mean, who, who doesn't want more friends, right? Or people that they can trust and, you know, lean on. I think that, um, well, I used to work like as a contractor at like Airbnb and that's kind of uh -huh. where I brought oh, cool. the boss. <laughs> I don't work for them anymore. So, but it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it was only a contractor thing, but, um, the it's boss. all good, man. I just stayed at a VRBO. So it's, oh, Hey, <laughs> you're the man. Oh, dude. Yeah, I've got to try to go in one of those. But the thing is, um, the boss, like she was like, uh, 
Yeah, I don't think I ever really saw her smile, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, really? But, I don't know, but we went we went ice skating one time, and it was like a company like let's get dinner, and I guess you know yeah. you got to see her open up. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, like what did what did you think when you saw that when you saw her open up a little bit like at the ice skating event? I feel like, yeah, like it was a refresh refresher just because you know somebody in a different environment doesn't have to try to intimidate intimidate the workers or try to you know bring more out of them by intimidation rather than so instead of being you know a boss who tries to intimidate and get the most out of somebody i think just nice and caring and humorous can definitely bring yeah. out uh because you know a happier a happy worker wants to do more work versus a unhappy worker who wants to get the hell out of here at four absolutely absolutely <laughs> and, and it's like that statement you just said is it's not just like, you know, some gut feeling. I mean, that is backed by a lot of research. So yeah, you're exactly right. I remember working for a a really difficult boss. um, And, you know, I had a lot of feelings about her that I just, you know, I was like, gosh, I can't stand her. And I remember one day when her daughter came into work with her and seeing her just with her daughter and um, helping her daughter do some things and that kind of stuff, like that was pretty key for me to be like, to just remind myself like, oh yeah, she's a human. She's dealing with stuff too. And I think her daughter um, uh, was like, you know, couldn't go to school for some reason. So she, she was having to bring her daughter to work with her. And so it was stressful for her. And I was realizing like, this is a side of her I've never seen before, like just a little bit more human and a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah, I think I think like even those teachers that that would uh, be difficult, right? Like maybe you had, yeah, I mean you worked in education, you've seen, you know, oh yeah, you know, different, um, I guess methods of relating to the students, all that. Like I think just uh, it it says a lot just why humor, why humor should be championed, and I are you the only one who is advocating for this? Cause there's gotta be somebody else. Who else right? <laughs> there's, there's a handful of us. I've, I've got a few colleagues uh, who, who do similar work to me, but there's not a ton of us, man. There's not a ton of us out there. There's not enough. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with delivering happiness. So is that, would you say that's your job or like your other job? You have two jobs right now. What's uh, yeah. My, my primary job is uh, with myself working for myself and doing uh, humor keynotes and workshops. Um, but then I'm an independent contractor with delivering happiness as well. And so, um, with delivering happiness, we do a lot of, um, uh, culture work with organizations. And so I'll come in and do projects with, uh, a company, um, you know, maybe a a masterclass on, you know, resetting the culture or, you know, values and leadership and, and that kind of stuff. I, I know the delivering happiness is kind of spun out at Tony Shea's thing, mm-hmm. right? Rest yeah. in peace to Tony, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause uh, Zappos had such an Im- impeccable culture and then uh, Tony wrote the book delivering happiness. And so they started getting, um, they started getting after delivering happiness was like a, uh, New York times, number one bestseller back in the day. And they started getting so many requests, like, Hey, can you help us to make our culture like yours or, you know, help us improve our culture that, that then there was an idea with uh, Jen Lim and Tony Shea to, you know, create a, a branch called delivering happiness. That is a work culture consultancy. Consultancy. 
I was yeah. just gonna say like is it a pot I couldn't figure it out I was like is it just a podcast is it just like you know a media here and there like a book no no it's a it's a full work culture consultancy I mean um and we we, we work with um all sorts of of large organizations um to to do full you know we, we might do some like values refreshers or even just some talks or fireside chats or things like that all the way to like full on, um, you know, right. taking a look under the hood and like, Hey, we're trying to revamp our, our culture. or We want to take a look and kind of reset our culture. Um, so depending on what an organization needs. So yeah, people could check out delivering happiness.com if they want to, um, learn more about them. Gotcha. What, what did you, Paul, what, can you remind me what you said? Your like first job, you were like a problem mitigator. Like what was it? Well, I'm, I'm a humor strategist. Humor strategist. Yeah. But, so but back at UC Riverside. Oh, like, oh like back when my, or, my fir- oh, in education. Like, a yeah, de- I, I was, was I was, uh, well, I was like an associate Dean, but my specific role was, uh, uh, director of conflict resolution. Oh, that director. So you would, like help people who had pro- director of conflict resolution. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's something so my, I would say. My professional <laughs> background is all in like conflict resolution, alternative dispute resolution, mediation, working with people through difficult problems. Man, I think everyone needs a conflict a conflict <laughs> resolution. <to direct. laughs> I, 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 I guess like the whole world needs conflict resolution. I, I feel like I I were kind of kind of coming towards the end, like maybe ten minutes more. But um, how how did you find your way to delivering happiness? Did they find you? Did you just say saw a job application? You met Kelly randomly somewhere? How did that go? Uh, well, um, so I years ago I had I had read the book and then I kind of followed DH online, um, followed their work and and that kind of stuff. But at one point pre pandemic, uh, several years ago. Um, you know, DH was well-established and doing work all over the world. Um, but things had grown, they had grown so much that they were looking for a few new, um, a few new consultants, uh, you know, independent contractor consultants. And so, um, I reached out and there was kind of an application process and training and that kind of stuff. And one thing led to another and they were stuck with me. That's that's so funny. Hey, this is my friend Earl. He uh he knows Kelly like pretty well, right? Right, Earl. Oh, right on. Oh yeah, up, Kelly's Earl? one of my best friends. Hello, hello. Kelly's the best man. She's great. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks. thanks I, I used to in. love I used to love having conversations with Kelly because she laughs so much that like <laughs> I'm like I need I need a Kelly in every room I'm in. Like she's just she's awesome. Did you guys work all virtually, or you guys had like worked in Colorado or? No, uh, we worked, so we spent a, a week together in San Diego, um, doing kind of an onboarding training. And then we've done, we've done a couple other things in person and then, and then we worked pretty closely on several projects virtually as well. Um, we did a, a few like virtual masterclass kind of things and then oh, we good, did the cool. podcast together and that kind of stuff. Paul, I got to ask you, what, what do you find difficult about your job, right? Just, it's not just like you walk in there, tell jokes and be nice to people. Like there's probably a lot of pushback from like a serious, I don't know, like a manager or something. They're like, your idea suck, right? Or like, not, not for me. What do you do in that case? If that ever happens, man, you know, 
I don't, luckily I don't have to deal too much with, uh, with like yeah. the head, you know, VP or president or whoever going, Hey, I'm not on board with these ideas because I like to have that before oh. I even, before I, I like to have, I like to have those people on board before I even go, because, uh, you know, I want whoever's hiring me, I want them to know like, um, what we're, uh, you know, what the, what the goal is and what my style is. And if they don't, you know, if they, if they don't jive with it, I'm like, it's not going to be a good fit. Oh, right. Okay, uh, okay. But I will say, um, I, I will say that one of the tougher things is, uh, people ec- always expecting you to be funny, like all the time, sure. you know, like, so if I'm serious at all, then people will be like, oh, don't use that in your act. Or like, or, you know, and I'm like, yeah, dude, okay, thanks for the notes. Appreciate it. Um, so like there's this expectation to like always be on and always be funny or whatever. So that's kind of weird sometimes. But um, and then uh, I, I think the other thing would be just um, bad rooms um, or, or uh, so doing a talk or a workshop or a virtual um uh, talk and really using humor a lot in it, uh, to the point that I'd say it's like sometimes, you know, 40, 60, like comedy education. Yeah. Um, you rely on timing of things and you rely on things that comedians rely on. So like one time I had, uh, uh, they told me there was going to be a group of 600 people in a ballroom. And I was like, great, perfect. Let's do it. Um, this was a ballroom that was set up for like 2,500 people. Mm-hmm. And there were 600 people like smattered around. It was the worst room because you know how like laughter is contagious, you know, laughter is, and in most good comedy clubs are like small rooms. Yeah, yeah, packed in. So you're in this massive ballroom with people all way that and i was like oh you guys this is like so bad and so it was you know things like that that are like okay and so people are laughing but it's like you hear them like way off in the corner or um or or uh organizations that like on zoom they want to control my slides for me and i'm like no that i've got jokes tied <laughs> to these slides like i'm i i need to control this you know so Stuff like that, you know, specifically with what I do is maybe a little bit different than than others. But for the most part, I love what I do. It's awesome. And it's why I do it. How, how do you, uh, by the way, how do you, when you're doing a TEDx talk or speaking in front of a couple hundred people, I, I've done stand-up before and I just, I, for me, my strategy is I don't, I don't really give a blank at the end of the day, but, you know, I bombed before too. Um, and then I've gotten people to laugh, which is good. Sure. Um, and I think, I think it's helped me with the podcast, helped me with like approaching famous people and just, you know, not, not caring as much, but with you, when you have to do like your ner- public speaking is like, according to a lot of people, it's the number one fear of humans. What, yeah. um, what do you do? Do you just like, like drink a beer before you go up there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually, I don't usually drink beforehand. Uh, no, but uh, it, sometimes if I'm at a comedy club, I'll, I'll maybe have a, a drink, but um, for, you know, for speaking gigs, um, no, but I, you know, what, one thing is I get nervous still before every talk I do, like, I always still get nervous and I do this 
all the time. Um, but the other thing is that, uh, and I've noticed that like, I always feel like I have to pee right before I go on stage, but I think that's just oh, okay. the nerves. I think I, and I've gotten used to it. I'm like, ah, I've got to pee again. You know, like, ah, I guess I'm just a little nervous. You, you could just which shake is, the soda. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some, sometimes, cause now I've just gotten so used to it that I don't worry about it, but someday I'm going to like probably pee my pants up there you, you know, must have been like, the coolest dean <laughs> yeah yeah i, I should have listened to myself uh but um you know when i'm doing like professional speaking gigs um i have tested out that material so meticulously wow. that i because people are paying for that yeah. you know they're paying <laughs> for this to be good and for it to be, you know, a great start to their conference or event or whatever. So usually what I do is I have a group of trusted friends who I will run material by, or maybe in smaller, um, less formal situations, maybe some trainings, I'll try out some bits or, or, or some things and see how it goes over. Um, or in a comedy club, I'll try some stuff. Um, you, do, you do open mics and stuff? Are, and then I can refine it. What's that? You do open mics and things like this? Uh, I, I'll do some open mics here and there. I, I um, perform regularly at a club here in uh, where I live. We've got both stand-up and improv and um, um, an, an, an improv team uh, like couple Saturdays a month. Uh, so we do a lot of short form. Like if you've ever seen it, whose line is it anyway? That kind of stuff. Man, um, that's, that takes a lot of talent. <laughs> oh, it's so fun, man. It's a blast. Yeah. Keeps my mind fresh. Nice. Nice. Uh, I guess, Earl, you want to ask something before we jump to the end? Or? What's up, Earl? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. I, I wanted to just see, uh, you know, especially like, you know, this whole delivering, you know, happiness and, and others. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the the question really that I have kind of for you is, um, you know, a, a lot a lot of people are are thinking about, especially for for our for our segment, you know, think about, you know, taking risk, um, starting a company, making that big career move. What's your, you know, what what's your advice to to them, right? Um, because you know, you in essence, you know, could go into you know different situations and I, I see that you have just you know natural joy and courage like going to these situations so what's your thoughts or advice to to most of our listeners here yeah uh i think the the number one question that i kept coming back to with myself like when i quit my full-time job and took the risk to do what i do now full-time on my own um is will I regret not having tried? And that's the thing that I kept, that I would always come back to because I always in the back of my mind felt like I might be able to do this for real full time and make a living doing something I love. Um, and there, there's always that part of our, uh, of, uh, of us, I think everyone has that, you know, tries to be realistic, but also, um, is like a bit of a dream killer. Like, no, you've got a good job. You've got a steady paycheck. And here's all the reasons that you should be afraid of doing that. Um, and I think that, you know, it's okay to listen to that a little bit to be logical, but um, I didn't, 
I just didn't want to be like 75 years old and looking back going, nice <laughs> crap. I could have done, I could have done this. I could have, I, I, I really think I could have done yeah. it. And uh, so I say, if you're going to, if you think you're going to have regrets, try it. And I told myself, I'm going to give myself a year. And if after a year, I, I feel like uh, I'm making no progress, I can reevaluate. This doesn't have to be a decision that I'm making for the rest of my life, but let's, let's try it. And, you know, I'm like decade later and here we are. Wow, man. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so beautifully said. I think just, uh, you know, people have more power than they think. Just, I mean, maybe it doesn't start with paychecks and things like that, but it starts with joy yeah. and starts with like- and one and one big supporter who believes in you. You only need one to um, keep you going because there was a a moment early on where I was like starting to talk myself out of it and be like, I don't know, I'm not sure if I can do this. And my my wife uh, Kelly basically was like, what are you doing? Like, just <laughs> stick it out. Like, you know, the, you can do it. I believe in you. That's all I needed. But there, there was that one moment where I, I think if I didn't have her kind of just pat me on the back and, and being a bit of a cheerleader during that moment, I might've, I might've just dream Hold killed it, myself. Oh yeah. man. No. Yeah. I mean, so many variables, right? Like just, yeah, you can't, can't even, um and it's funny you say that what if i didn't have this person in my life to to yeah. push me like and you were just saying what if i didn't even try this and then i think that's just i mean you know it's it's better to see the path through than than not learn anything and just wonder live with wonders <laughs> so, yeah so. and, and you, you always think like i you know worst case scenario like what's worst case scenario i uh i waste a year trying this, or I end up having to go back and find some uh, new job later that I don't really want anyway. And maybe I don't want the current job I'm in right now. So it's like, well, jobs I don't want will be around in a year, <laughs> you know? So whatever, <laughs> like if I got to go work at Best Buy for a while to, to eat food, you know, fine. Uh, you know, I, I, you just kind of think worst case scenario, but that is a much less worst case scenario than feeling yeah. 30 years from now, like, man, I wish I would have at least given it a shot. Cause if you give it a shot and you can't make it work, or there's a bunch of variables that work against you and it just doesn't work. At least you feel like, man, I gave it a shot. I did, you know, I, I put it out there. I did my best or you give it a shot and things change. And maybe your goals change a little bit and you uh -huh. find something different you want to do. I think like on the show, we talked to like so many entrepreneurs who've done that same journey before and gone through similar things that you talked about, like having their wife uh, convince them to, to start a company. Like this, this uh, device right here, it's called aware. And uh, we had the guy who made it on the show and it tells you air quality and helps me sleep better at night. So if, if oh, that's wife, cool. <laughs> his wife never told him to uh, keep going, then uh, I wouldn't be sleeping as well at night. So it's, it's all. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You need somebody to just be like, come on, keep, keep it up. And I, and I, I really, that, that whole thought about, um, I, I did think about uh, many times in the first couple of years, like, you know what, 
shitty jobs will always be there. So yeah. don't be, don't be scared of like not settling down with that crappy job right now. If you can still keep pursuing the dream. Well, well so is the job that you were referring to right now? Is it Paul Ozenkopf, the speaker or like, you know? Like- yeah. 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 I'm, uh, just paulozenkopf.com. And then, uh, yeah, I'm a speaker and humor strategist. So I, I typically speak about humor and happiness and strategies to you know, leverage those in life and business. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Okay. So Paul, I don't want to take your whole day and night. Um, even though I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind talking to you for three more hours, but um, I guess just <laughs> <laughs> I have a basketball game to go to. I'll go to it. And uh, one thing, one thing, Paul, I, I guess just um, what we typically like to ask is like, what do you, what do you, you know, Yes, I kind of don't even have it. Or you want to ask the question and take over? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe two questions. One is, if you had to summarize your personal startup mindset in one sentence, what would that be? And the second one, uh, thing up now because it might be a hard one, which is, if you had to go back and tell your 19 or 20 year old self um, advice uh, to kind of bolster your 20 year old startup mindset, what, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, all right. So my, my, my overall startup mindset, uh, I think is life is too short to be taken seriously. Like it's love just, it. um, I, th- I think it's originally an Oscar Wilde quote, but, uh, it's kind of that that same thing we were just talking about of like, give it a shot, you know, like whatever. And people may totally dig what I do and like, hey, we need humor and we're going to hire you. There are a lot of companies that don't want. I was just talking to a friend who uh, uh, is a, a big wig at a large hospital group. And he said that his president, he he was trying to get me there and that the president was like, we really don't need a stand-up comedian, you know, and whatever. And so he, you know, my buddy was telling me, I'm, I'm fighting for you. And I go, don't worry about it. Like if, if he doesn't see the value, it's just probably not the right time anyway. Uh, there are plenty of organizations that don't want me, but by being myself and not taking everything always so serious and trying to have a little fun with what I do, there are plenty of people who do want to hire me and do want what I do. and that's my crew. That's, you know, like that's who, uh, that's my target audience. So there's that. And then going back to the 20 year old, um, startup mindset, if I could go back and talk to my 20 year old self, yeah. uh, I, I would say, um, keep doing what you're doing. Cause at the time I was really into comedy and I, but I just kind of like, I, I knew it was a part of my life and I really loved doing it, but um, I kind of gave up on it back then. Keep doing what you're doing, but freaking get better organized. That's kind of what like I, <laughs> I was and have been at times a mess in terms of that. And as fun as my job is, and as much as I love humor and you know that kind of stuff, to do any kind of business on your own, you need to be organized 
and have systems in place. And that is not my strong suit, but it's something <laughs> I've had to learn over time. So yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's... Get your shit together would be my <laughs> advice to my 20 year old self. <laughs> oh, yeah. Paul, are you like me where you have like hundreds of things on the desk and your mom yells at you too? Yeah, man. I, I have constantly, I have constantly so much going on that I can't even like, I, I'm like, and th- what's nice about having my own business is that my mind works in a way where I constantly have to be doing different things. I can't do the same task like all day long, uh, which is great because I can do some like sales outreach stuff and then I can work on a new presentation or write new material or whatever. Um, but that also is like not super helpful because then I'm just like, Ooh, this, Ooh, that I'm like all over the place. It's not helpful. That's, that's, I, I go through similar things, man. Well, <laughs> in a, in a, no pun intended, but uh, that's a compliment. Like you have somebody now, you know, who does similar things. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, well, Paul, one more thing I had to ask you. So you run a podcast too. And I just guess I, I had to ask this one. Who's, who's a guest you'd like to see us interview, but, there's a catch. You, you kind of have to help us get in touch with this person. If oh, can think all, of right. That. <laughs> all right. Catch. I have to help you get in touch with them. Oh man. We, 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 I'd we, like to see you interview. Um, someone else you've done a podcast with that you want to see do more podcasts or something like that. Yeah. Um, are, are there any particular topics that you, have you, have you had anyone, um, who's really strong with, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion stuff? We've had a VC. F- we could use more, but I mean, somebody. Um, There's a woman named Janine Carter who um, I, I interviewed that was really good um, on that topic. Mm. Um, and then let's see. Yeah, like Janine, I, I thought was awesome. There's also a woman who just wrote a book called um, A Minute to Think. Her name's uh, Juliet Funt. Oh, wow. um, and that book, A Minute to Think, it. it or it, it talks about like having basically like white space in your day on your calendar um, and what to do with that. And she talks about the, the uh, lack of that in particularly high achieving people's lives. And that's pretty, pretty good book. And she was really good. I, I enjoyed the podcast you did with Shola Richards, right? Like the Ubuntu. Oh yeah. Shola. He's awesome. Yeah, did you? Yeah, I, Shola would be a great one too. Yeah, man, that guy was really cool. Um, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I guess we'll you know connect. I'd, I'd be what, happy to introduce you to to Either. any of them. Yeah, thank thank you, yeah. So, Paul. I, thank I, you. I, I I could send you Shola's info if you want. Absolutely, yeah, we'd we'd love to. I I'd be super amazed to have a conversation with Shola. But Paul, I I just want to say thank you so much, man. This is. One of the coolest conversations we've had just because I feel like you know a subject matter that most people are curious about and they're afraid to get into because humor is often seen as something that would embarrass someone. But I think you really do champion, you know, not only delivering happiness values, but um, just entrepreneurship values, which are doing something from scratch and believing in yourself. And I think that uh, I've done that too in my life and uh, it's taken me far and I, I, I take your advice where you know just keep going and I, I don't care what i can find another shitty job another day so that's right man they'll always be there <laughs> well, well paul man how, awesome let, let the, the stage is yours uh take it away or just whatever you want people to hear from you that you haven't gotten a chance yet to oh hey man uh well i appreciate talking with with you guys and um 
you know, for anyone out there listening, I just uh, encourage you to keep keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up. And um, but also just don't take it all too serious. Have a little fun. You know, be goofy sometimes. Show like the real side of yourself. That's what people want to see anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, check me out. Um, my name's Paul Ozenkup, and I'm the only one of those in the world. So if you find me on social media, that's me, at Paul Ozenkup. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. All right, guys. Thanks, Paul.